police in the morning. Welcome, B-Movie fans, to this week's B-Movie Chat. New Year's has come and gone, and everyone has probably already broken their resolutions. Here at B-Movie Bros, we decided that the best way to start off 2017 is with giant monsters destroying everything in their path. Giant monster films, better known as kaiju, have been around since the 1950s, and still have a huge following today. While it's pretty hard to deny that giant monsters crushing cities is inherently awesome, the cultural relevance of these types of films has spanned the entire globe. Names like Godzilla, Mothra, and Gamera are known everywhere. This popularity has spawned countless sequels and remakes both in Japan, where these films originated, and in the United States. However, despite advancements in film technology, the original kaiju films, known for their cheap quality and ridiculous dubbing, still eclipse the much bigger budget and realistic remakes in popularity. What makes these early kaiju so popular and memorable? Joining us for this discussion is film critic, Godzilla expert, and owner of the website Cinemania, Fuzzy Michael. Michael, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. Oh, always a pleasure to have different people on. Definitely. So, let's get this started. Um, so, Michael, you, as, as we stated before, you're a Godzilla expert? Something like that, yeah. There Try to be. <laughs> it's a good thing to get a degree in. Yeah, I know, right? Kaijuology. Now, where where did the term kaiju actually come from? Uh, kaiju is just the Japanese word for strange beasts. So to them, it's the same as what we would call a monster movie or a creature feature. So they would consider kaiju, even though we in, in America think of it just as giant mo- uh, giant monsters, they think of kaiju as really being any monster. Frankenstein, the mummy, they're all sort of kaiju movies. They actually use the term daikaiju by adding the prefix D-A-I, dai, it makes it giant. So daikaiju is what Godzilla truly is. Kaiju is just sort of all the strange beasts and mythical creatures that they do. Well, that, uh, that actually makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm glad to know that now. That explains why um, I read somewhere there was supposed to be a Godzilla's, Godzilla versus um, Frankenstein's monster. That makes a lot more sense now, thinking that it's not just giant lizards and things like that. And it also brings a lot of sense to the first movie we reviewed this month being Night of the Lepus, which was um, about giant rabbits, which, you know, they were, they were 150 pounds. They were like, you know, the size of large dogs, but they were still eating and killing people. But if Kaiju is just monster in general, then it really does fit. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then that's a good one, too. That's a, that's a fun, just sort of crazy, wacky movie. That's the kind you have to sort of have a few adult beverages for before you can really enjoy it. Oh, definitely. Yeah, we uh, we came up with some drinking games for that. You know, ways to drink away the flick. Yep. That'll be up um, later this week. So. Definitely fun. Yeah. So, so how how did you get into uh, to kaiju or, or Godzilla or, or die kaiju movies? Well, probably the same way a lot of Americans did, uh, thanks to Mystery Science Theater 3000 doing all those Gamera movies. I mean, that made it so accessible for us over here. Uh, so many, you know, Thanksgiving days where there would just be a, a whole marathon of MST3K and you'd watch five or six episodes throughout the day and catch a couple of those monster movies. It really made a difference to, you know, 10-year-old me. It sort of opened my eyes to movies I never would have uh, never would have seen otherwise. So that's really what started it. And then um, just sort of getting into sort of the wacky stuff. I really appreciate the the cheap effects. I really like the rubber suits. I don't I don't like CGI. So as movies converted more to CGI over the years, I went back to just watching older movies from the, the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s and enjoying sort of the campiness of it. 
because uh, I, I find that to be just a lot more interesting. It seems a lot more genuine to see sort of a, a guy roaming around in a rubber suit than it does to see a, a CGI monster for 15 seconds. Yeah, yeah, I I love you know one of my favorite shows growing up. I know a lot of my generation was uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Um, I prefer Ultraman to Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and I actually have the whole Ultraman original series on DVD. And uh, I wouldn't trade the the special effects from that for anything from the modern era. Like it's just so it, it it brings such joy to see the cheap special effects. It brings laughs, but there's also like this muted realism to it, in my opinion, that that really just draws you in. Yeah, definitely. It definitely feels like it's more happening in the real world than it does that's happening on a movie set when you get to see sort of how how they interact. Because then weird things happen, things fall over, people trip, there's accidents, mistakes, in a way that you don't get those same mistakes in CGI. In CGI, everything is exactly how they planned it. And, uh, yeah, I think it sort of loses a little bit of the charisma with that. I think it loses a lot of the charm and just the seeing that somebody with a very low budget was trying to make something work with whatever they had. And there's a certain amount of, like, respect you can have for that, whereas I think with a lot of the CGI, it's just, oh, well, now you're just trying to impress me with your big budget and all that. So there's definitely more of a charm to the old kind of style. Like I, I'm yeah, pretty sure if uh, James Cameron's Avatar, instead of everything being CGI, if they had miniature sets, if the uh, the Avatar people were actually like people in giant rubber blue costumes, it would have been an amazing movie. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I only saw Avatar once because I just sort of went, wow, what's the point? It's dances with wolves in space, and I just sort of walked away from it. It's fucking yeah, Romeo and right. Juliet for the 9,000th time done in cinema yeah. because it's a piece exactly. of shit. I prefer the original Smurfs. You know, James Cameron, uh, you know, master of sequels, but on his own, he just rehashes things that aren't sequels. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, m- tons of respect for the man, but Avatar is one of the shittiest movies I've ever seen. Yeah, it, it definitely didn't hook me. I, I didn't understand all the hype for it. And I mean, maybe that's part of the problem. So many people played it up, said it was so great, and then I actually see it, and I'm just sort of underwhelmed. Like, uh, it doesn't seem that special to me. I guess I, maybe I've seen too many movies. I don't know. But yeah, I'd, I'd rather see people in rubber suits. There's there's a movie from the uh, from the 70s, 75, called uh, The Super Inframan. It was done by Shaw Brothers, the Kung Fu guys. They were trying to get into the sort of Ultraman style of making superheroes. And they did this really wacky, you know, tons of rubber-suited monsters and guys in funny outfits, karate fighting. And it was amazing. I'll watch Super Inframan any day of the week, and I'm never going to see Avatar again. It's, it's also interesting, too, because, you know, I am... Um... I saw Godzilla, the original Gojira, before I saw Godzilla, King of the Monsters. And um, it's interesting, especially the early ones, how they tried to Americanize them. And it really took away from, you know, and I know Gojira is a very serious movie, but it has such charm to it. And the Americanized version really loses a lot of that charm because instead of focusing on what's happening to the people and... You know, with the monster, it's just, hey, look, here's here's a white guy on the island. So I I I I don't like when they localize the monster movies. Um, and I think it's a a better left to uh to the originals. Yeah, I definitely agree. The the original Jira is a totally different movie than the American version that that came out two years later. 
uh, the, the tone really lightened in the American version. They seem to be afraid of sort of the uh, the subtext and the and all the uh, political nature of what they were doing. Whereas the Japanese took it so seriously, they were nervous about making the movie because they felt that this was you know calling out the U.S., who then was now finally an ally for uh, the the post-war occupation, for dropping the bombs for uh, the the incident with the Lucky Dragon Number no. Five, where uh, a U.S. atomic bomb test on the Bikini Atoll ended up uh, killing one of the one of the crewmen of a fishing boat. So they felt like they were really taking on very important issues of the day. Yeah, it's weird, but like kaiju movies could have only been made right right after World War II because it was at that time believable that with all the radiation from the uh, the atomic bombs that something like that could happen like nowadays we kind of know better it's been so long but back in the day when radiation was magical and can do anything it was just that perfect time period for these giant monsters to literally rise from the ocean yeah it really was uh the main motivation uh for ashiro honda to take on the movie he really didn't want to direct the movie the only reason he took it on was to give radiation a physical form was to be able to show a way to uh, to sort of take the specter of radiation, make it real. So uh, it really is an interesting sort of uh, view of just the the Cold War era and the the you know almost the psychosis that went along with the fear of radiation. I mean, people did not know what to expect. They didn't know if their kids were going to come out as mutants or what was going to happen over the years. So they really did fear it, and uh, being able to sort of make it real and, and show a way to fight against it. Uh, was cathartic in a lot of ways for the Japanese people. It's a good way of looking at it. Now, my uh, my primary experience with kaiju actually comes from video games, um, the Rampage video game series, and um, for the Super Nintendo, there was a game called King of the Monsters Two, um, where you picked one of one of three kaiju. Um, I remember one was like an Ultraman kind of guy. That's who I always picked, and uh, you fought through the world and you fought other giant monsters and just destroyed cities yeah i mean it definitely plays well to video games there's there's a lot of uh not a lot of good video games but there's a, a lot of video games out there based around kaiju based specifically around godzilla there's a couple of really good ones where it's just basically fighting games where it's godzilla versus whoever and you get to play as all different kaiju of the universe it, it just plays well to that like it's one of those things where you want to pit you know two little toys against each other and see how they turn out so it really does work well that ramp, those Rampage games were phenomenal. I know I played those a lot in the arcades back in the day. One of the things I liked about the Rampage games was it was you could destroy almost anything. You were destroying buildings, you were eating people. It was more than just like fighting another monster. You were you were literally the monster destroying whatever's in your path. So it's like I am this Godzilla like creature, and that was that was always really cool. It was it was cool for me because growing up in a family where there was three brothers, myself and my you know two brothers. We um, there were very few games that were three player. Um, you know there were a lot of games that were four player, but you know you had to pick teams and whatnot. But having a three player cooperative game was actually really cool, and that was one of the biggest reasons why we played Rampage so much um, for the N sixty four. And that's one. Of the, that's one of the things. Things like couch co op sort of has gone away with multiplayer. Uh, things like how we discover movies through the video stores has sort of gone away with with digital uh, downloading and constant access and streaming to everything. 
I think that the reason a lot of us are into the things we're into is sort of by chance. I mean, if, if you didn't happen to turn on the right UHF station at the right time back in, you know, 1988, you might not have discovered a genre of movie that you ended up really liking. Uh, I think that nowadays, with so much access, more access to more obscure cinema and entertainment than we've ever had, I think a lot of times it's easy for us to sort of overlook things that might otherwise be really uh, entertaining to us. Well, that that's one reason it took me so long to pick up um, the movie Zombie 2, which is the, the unofficial sequel to Dawn of the Dead. Um, that was made by Lucio Folchi in uh, in yeah. Italy, um, because you know I perused all the video stores back in the the early two thousands. You know we had Fye, Sam Goody, Suncoast, Media Play. You know there was just so many places to choose from and so many things. And um, after a while, like I saw this movie everywhere, and I was like, oh, if if everywhere has it, it really can't be that great. And eventually, I just I, I picked it up. I was like, you know, I'm I'm gonna watch this one, and it has a, actually become like one of my favorite zombie movies, um, mostly because it has the uh, the zombie versus shark fight in at the bottom of the ocean, which is actually really reminiscent of of a kaiju movie, where you just pit these oh, yeah. two ridiculous creatures against each other and see what happens. Yeah, that's definitely one of the awesome ones. That's one of the first things that I was shown on VHS when I was probably twelve or thirteen years old. I had a neighbor that that was really into uh, all these all these crazy horror movies. So he would always go and, and grab you and bring you over to his house and be like, "Hold on, we got to fast forward to the good parts and just show you the good bits of the movies." So that shark scene was one of the first things that sort of got me hooked on crazy B movies back in the day. Uh, also, you know, the, the half naked lady diver didn't hurt either, but definitely the shark versus zombie is one of the coolest uh, movie sequences that could ever be filmed. And they were doing it at a time where they didn't really have any way to do it other than just throw a dude in zombie makeup down into the water and let him fight a shark. <laughs> and really, like, just, just the makeup effects alone, you know, having a makeup that holds up underwater is not an easy task, even today, with all the technology yeah. and, and everything we've discovered through makeup and special effects. You know, it, it takes a lot of work, a lot of experience, and a lot of patience to be able to do that properly. And like you said, you know, the only way they could do that is, you know, throw him in the ocean and ha- have him fight a shark. Jaws meets yeah. Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, and when it comes to the special effects, uh, glad you brought that up. I mean, the the origin of kaiju as we know it with Godzilla really comes from the special effects. Godzilla is said to have sort of four creators, but the most important of those four people is uh, the special effects guy from Toho, E.G. Subaraya. He was. Uh, the only guy that created Godzilla at that time. He, he didn't even want to be in films. He wanted to be a pilot. But back in those days, it was, uh, when he was first growing up, it was 1919-1919, he joined a flight school. The flight school only had a single plane. So when the plane crashed halfway through the semester, the school had to shut down. He went into filmmaking as sort of a backup and became just one of the most legendary cinematographers. He was doing it in, in you know 1920 at a time when all these big box cameras still had to be hand-cranked. They couldn't be used for for motion shots. So this guy created uh, like dollies and and all sorts of different things to create moving shots and cranes. Like he was one of the first people to use these. So he actually revolutionized film as a whole. And then uh, about a decade later, when he sees King Kong for the first time, he was blown away and decided that he just wanted to dedicate the rest of his career to improving Japanese special effects. He wanted to be the best at it. So with him making wartime propaganda films through the 1940s, they were so realistic, people thought they were watching documentaries. He, he filmed an attack on Pearl Harbor that General Douglas MacArthur, one of the most famous of, the, of America's World War II generals, when he saw it, 
he thought he was seeing actual footage of the Pearl Harbor attack. So after the war, he went into just doing special effects full time because all the filmmakers and cinematographers that made propaganda movies were blacklisted. So he ended up just focusing strictly on special effects. And he's really one of the only guys that could have made these miniature cities and, you know, latex outfits and all sorts of other crazy stuff that they needed. Uh, special effects is really where Godzilla starts. Without those, the movie wouldn't have been anything. That's And that's one of the things I really love about, you know, the giant monster movies is the miniaturized sets. And a lot of times how realistic these sets look, they look like it could be the real city that you're destroying. That was actually my, my favorite thing about Night of the Lepus was the miniature sets they built to make the rabbits look gigantic. They were just so realistic and lifelike. Yeah, it's interesting that he wanted to be a pilot because in a lot of the Godzilla movies and thing and the kaiju films, you kind of need to have an aerial view, like know what it would be like from to look down or at least um, be able to imagine it. So it's kind of he took that desire to see things from above and really recreated it for the screen. Mm, yeah, definitely. Now, what uh, in your opinion, Mike, what is the worst Godzilla movie? <laughs> um wow there there's a lot to choose from there's been 31 godzilla movies uh a lot of people would probably say the 1998 american one's the worst with, with matthew broderick yeah as an option i want to give that out there as an option personally i don't hate it i don't think of it as a godzilla movie well, but i don't hate it well neither uh, do probably a, a lot of the godzilla universe because in uh, i know tokyo sos they don't call those things Godzillas. They call them Zillas. Yeah. It's like an American like subspecies of Godzilla. So technically speaking, I don't think it qualifies as a Godzilla movie because when you look at canon, it's they, that monster is considered a Zilla, not Godzilla. And, and that's definitely taken on uh, a life of its own too on the internet for for most of the internet people refer to that 1998 film as Gino Godzilla in name only because they don't want to recognize it as part of the Toho universe Toho doesn't want to recognize it as part of the Toho universe it's definitely sort of the uh, the redheaded stepchild out there but the worst of the true Godzilla movies was probably Godzilla's Revenge it was from 1969 it takes place mostly in a boy's dream and they, the producers were trying to save money at this point. Toho was in financial trouble. So they saw that Gamera was really popular among kids and was making a lot of money compared to their budgets. So Godzilla actually imitated their own imitator to make a movie in Gamera style. And that, and that was Godzilla's Revenge. It's, it's just awful. Tons of, uh, tons of stock footage. They were filming it on, on an island to save money. They didn't want to build sets. Um, and yeah, it just, it's just bad. <laughs> Wow. Um, I would have to say, I think some of the worst Godzilla stuff I've ever seen, which actually I love it because it's so terrible, is uh, the Hanna-Barbera Godzilla series, um, where Godzuki. he has his, his son Godzuki, and uh, they, they call him with like a special whistle or tone or some shit like that. Yeah, and yeah, that's a weird one. I, I don't even know what they were trying to do with that. Godzuki just... Oh, that's pathetic. That's a good one. Godzuki, that, the, the scrappy do of the uh, of the Godzilla universe. Definitely. Yeah, there was like a weird trend back then where every successful movie they wanted to make into a cartoon series, and most of them were god awful, and people <laughs> like to forget. But yeah, I remember that one, and I don't really remember much of it. Just 
Godzuki and even as a kid going, what the hell is this? Well, guess what, Paul? I have eight episodes on DVD. Why? Because, uh, who are you talking to? Yeah, good point. If it looks shitty, I buy it. And it is. Yeah, I'm the same way. If it has a name I'm I'm familiar with on the on the front, I'm gonna buy it, even if I know it's bad going in. I have all of Chuck Norris Karate Commandos. Speaking of bad 1980s uh, cartoons, um, nice. you know the the one movie I refuse to buy, even though I have all four other movies in the series, um, is Return of the Living Dead Part Three. I have one. I have two. I have Necropolis and Rave to the Grave, which are four and five, respectively. You're- but I refuse to buy number three. It is just, it's not really that bad of a movie, but just compared to the original two Return of the Living Deads, it is just a god-awful piece of uh, of cow dung, and I can't stand to have it in my collection. So you're okay with those sci-fi made-for-TV ones that came out in 2005 or whatever it was. You're okay with those. Yeah. But you're not okay with Return of the Living Dead 3. Wasn't Return of the Living Dead 3 the one with the hot chick with all the piercings? Or is that not that one? Is that number two? Um, are you talking about, uh, oh, not, no, Suicide's the, the dude that gets his head ripped open. Are you talking about, uh, the girl that strips down in the graveyard? No, that wasn't the first I one. I'm say, that's to the first of... one. Um, the yeah, th- no, Return of the Three, yeah, has the hot chick she's to die for on the cover. Yeah, that one. I can't believe you, though, oh. you boycott. Yeah, that, uh, well, that's, that's the only appeal of that movie. I mean, as far as... You know the precedents and the uh, the rules set forth in the first two movies. It just it, it throws it all out the window. I, I'm I'm pretty sure if I remember it correctly, and I just I have no respect for it. It's kind of like the uh, the third Resident Evil movie, um, Extinction. Uh, um, wearing glo- mittens. I I love the Resident Evil movies. Uh, they, to me, they're not part of the game universe, so it's it's okay. Um, but just the third movie with the psychic powers and and the yeah the zombies with mittens, I just I I can't. It's just like one of the most awful things ever. I've seen a lot worse things. I like things that are a lot worse in a lot of ways than that. But because it's part of a series that has such great standards, I I can't stand it. So you just like it more out of principle than its quality, I guess. Correct. I guess I can. Well, I would. I just want to go back to the briefly the um godzilla animated series just because i remember watching that and thinking how weird it was that godzilla was an ally to people and i guess in some movies he's good and some he's bad and some he's neutral like i've seen i've seen him like get together with um other monsters fighting um even bigger ones so it's kind of weird that these what I guess started out as mindless creatures were actually started to have some intelligence as the movies went on, or maybe they always did, and I missed something. No, you're not wrong. Godzilla normally is either a villain that the humans have to sort of defeat to survive, or he's at best a sort of like an anti-hero or like a chaotic neutral. He's sort of a a force of nature that sort of just comes to restore balance in the Earth, and that's, that's where he's really at his best. You try to make Godzilla into a hero, like they always try to do in these, you know, half-hour cartoons throughout the '80s. Uh, it just doesn't work as well. Yeah, he's—it's not really his style. I mean, back then they made everything into a thirty-minute cartoon. So, like Rambo, which is a bloody, awful, you know, rated R action film, they're going to make it into a kids' cartoon, and Rambo has to just sort of be a good guy that goes around and solves people's problems. Uh, it just doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, to to do that to Godzilla. 
who's sort of known for destruction and destroying everything in his path. And you're going to be like, oh, well, Godzilla's just sort of going to be a gun for hire who you're going to you know, whistle and he's going to come and save you. doesn't make a lot of sense. Godzilla helps stop a gang from uh, spreading drugs into the neighborhood or something like that. Yeah, it just it got it's kind of ridiculous. Like I like the idea of he sees something like wrong in nature and just kind of goes to stop it and just leaves afterwards. Like he's not actually destructive, but he's not good either. He's this you know a creature that we have some understanding of, but we'll never quite understand what he is. I went away to make a drink. I came back, and Paul's talking about stopping gangs from from dealing drugs, and I thought he was talking about Shaft. I was like, Godzilla versus Shaft, like that, a, a gi- giant Shaft versus Godzilla. That would actually be a pretty cool movie. I'd watch it. It's a very special episode of uh, Godzilla, the animated series, where Godzuki. Um, picked up a heroin problem and they had to get him help and he'd fight those evil gangs well it just i mean just talking about that i just i just imagine a giant samuel l jackson like samuel l jackson dressed in a giant samuel l jackson kaiju outfit um like have you ever seen the movie crank 2 <laughs> yes where, where jason statham is in the is in the giant jason statham outfit fighting the uh the henchman in the giant henchman outfit yeah see that would work great I, i'd love to see sort of a uh, Pacific Rim Jaeger style with Sam Jackson as a giant robot. Sam Jackson inside the robot beating up other bad guys. I could do it. Which I, you know, could, I, I could watch that. I've not actually seen Pacific Rim. I've wanted to since it came out, and I've just never gotten around to it. I've heard a lot of mixed things about it. There's there's definitely... Uh, yeah, I, I can understand. There's too many movies to be able to see all of them, but Pacific Rim, we can almost sort of... Uh, give them the the benefit for popularizing the term kaiju here in America because I feel like before that, whenever I would say kaiju or die kaiju in a conversation, people would not know what the heck I was talking about. And there's a clear line of delineation after that movie came out. Suddenly, everybody and their mother sort of knows at least that a kaiju is a giant monster is coming to get you. So, and if nothing else, they popularize that. Beyond that, it, it actually works on multiple levels. It's a it's action packed movie. It has actually some good sort of political subtext with the military industrial complex has all that stuff going on plus it's just giant robots fighting giant monsters so it works really great i mean they show their first kaiju literally in the first 90 seconds of the movie now, so you're never waiting for it to get cool i have to ask if it does the one movie ruining thing that a lot of movies like that do is there a love story yeah i mean every movie has some kind of love but it's not central to the movie, I don't think, and it doesn't take up too much okay. screen time. So from it, what I remember. it doesn't Pearl Harbor itself. Yeah, no, it's not one of those things where it's like they're going to end with fireworks at the end and the guy kissing the girl and blah, blah, blah. It's not that type of movie. It is really about humans versus animals sort of coming together to uh, to uh, defeat some giant bad guy. And that's really what it's about. It's, it's not one of those ones that's going to sink it with a love story. Unfortunately, Beautiful. every. Every stupid movie has to have a love story, and I hate that, but yeah, I'm with you. It's never a bad thing when you have giant monsters fighting giant lizards or giant monsters in general. So, I mean, and I, one of the Toro, reasons, you can't go wrong with Guillermo del Toro. And one of the reasons I've wanted to see it is because I'm a huge Mobile Suit Gundam fan. Um, so, mm. so Mecha for me are, are pretty cool, pretty good, pretty big um, influence into a lot of the things that I did in my youth. And, um, you know, it's. It, it's a movie that really takes that and looks like it does a good job with the mecha. It, it doesn't look like real steel or, you know, some other 
uh, chintzy, cheap. Hey, let's uh, let's throw a robot in here just just to throw a robot, you know, like Rocky Four. Yeah, no, definitely. They that, that robot in Rocky just friggin' killed me. I hate that. Oh god. Uh, but yeah, no, it definitely doesn't do that. It, yeah, it, it lives up to what you want it to be. If if you imagine. 250-foot-tall robots fighting 250-foot-tall monsters. What you want it to be? A specific rim. It's going to deliver, man. It's good. And like I said, you just can't go wrong with Guillermo del Toro. I don't think the dude's ever made a bad movie, uh, at least not that I've seen. So of all the kaiju out there, which would you say is your favorite? Mothra. Don't know why. Just love Mothra. There's just something weird about it. These two little uh, six-inch-tall ladies come out. Uh, over in Japan, they're called the Edos. Here, I think we call them the Peanuts. And there's these two little girls come out, and they sing like a weird song and do like a little routine, and then Mothra appears. And it's just like this big, flamboyant, rainbow-colored butterfly coming to save the world. I don't know why. Something about Mothra just owns it for me. Love me some Mothra. The, the Peanuts? Is, is is it fucking Marcy and Peppermint Patty appear on Mothra's <laughs> back? Like I don't know why... I please, don't know why we call them. Please peanuts. spread spread moth dust on these people, sir. Like, <laughs> who comes up with this shit? I have no idea, dude. Some of these like Godzilla fans just naming stuff. That's one of the weird things about Godzilla too. It's sort of a franchise of the people because the people sort of name things and give it nicknames and everything that you don't see in other forms. You know, uh, Godzilla's so-called son was never given a name in the movie. They had a movie called Son of Godzilla. In the movie, they never said that the monster was the Son of Godzilla, and they never named it. So the people that were watching the movie just named it and came up with a nickname, Minya, and they started calling it Minya. And sometimes we call it Minilla, just like Mini Godzilla. But yeah, they just sort of, you know, the fans have as much to do with the popularity of Godzilla as anyone at Toho. Now I kind of want to see a rap battle between Manila and Vanilla Ice. Oh, yeah. I, I have a feeling Manila's gonna win. <laughs> It'll end with him just biting, biting his head off. But I don't think Manila had any teeth. Yeah, if if I remember correctly, he was he was like he was like a newborn Godzilla-ish creature. Um, he, yeah, I mean he was a, he kind of looked like yeah, he was a, if, if Barney's you know mother and father were incestuous incestuous giant green dinosaurs, and they had a son that wasn't Barney. That that would be God's that that would be uh, Manila. That's it's the bad yeah. All right, Corey, what's your favorite um, kaiju? Um, it, it's so hard for me to to really say. Um, uh, honestly, I would have to say um, from the video game King of the Monsters two, the um, the superhero looking guy, the Ultraman esque. Uh, thing. If I had to go with um, out of video, um, I would probably have to say Ultraman himself. There you go. What about you, Paul? Mechastrizen. No, I'm kidding. My favorite is actually um, Gamera, just because I remember watching the old Gamera movies when I was a kid, and I had a pet turtle, and I'm thinking, wouldn't it be cool if my tur- actual turtle could just breathe fire and have fire coming out of all the holes in the shells and spin around real fast so since then gamera has always been my favorite then again if if we're using kaiju as in you know just monster and not die kaiju the giant monster um i would have to say vincent price (laughs) 
There you go. Not a bad one. Not a bad one. So, Corey, since you like Ultraman so much, uh, did you like Jet Jaguar in Godzilla vs. Megalon? I have only ever seen Gojira and Tokyo SOS. Those are the only two Godzilla movies I've ever seen. Um, really? I, I have not really seen a lot of kaiju movies. Um, that's what, like, you know, my, my, the most experience I have is with um, shows like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and Ultraman. And I remember very fondly TBS used to have um, Ultraman Tiga, I think it was on, before I went to, uh, to school. You know, I, I went to, to Catholic school as a youngin. And um, that was like something we would watch before going to school in the morning, my brothers and I. And um, that's a good one. And it just it, so when I saw Ultraman, you know, the entire series for like seven fifty, the original series, I bought it. And uh, if if I could wear the Science Patrol outfit every day for the rest of my life, I would, just because oh. it is it is so ugly and corny, but it's got that cute little tie, and uh, those awesome helmets. It, it just it, it it makes me smile so much like the Grinch like a Grinchy smile. So <laughs> that's phenomenal. All right, so Godzilla versus Megalon was one they did in 1973. They wanted to capitalize on Ultraman. Ultraman was so popular at the time. They thought, hey, let's get in on these sort of big crazy superheroes. So they held a contest for kids to submit their own drawings of a monster. And they'll put it, or a superhero, and they'll put it into the next movie. So this little girl drew sort of an Ultraman-like guy. They decided to use that. They renamed it to Jet Jaguar for no conceivable reason. So it's basically Ultraman adjacent. And they were going to put him in his own movie. It was going to be Ultra, or it was going to be a Jet Jaguar versus Megalon. Then they worried at the last minute. Man, no one knows who Jet Jaguar is. They're not going to see the movie. So they included an extra Godzilla villain and had Godzilla join them too. And it's just one of the weirdest movies. It's the only movie Jet Jaguar appeared in. You'd love it if you saw it, as long as you were, you know, just there to have a good time. Because basically Godzilla and Jet Jaguar team up, they high-five, they double-team these two other monsters, just sort of doing like tag-team wrestling. It's the weirdest thing. Godzilla does a drop kick. I'm not kidding, where he just sort of glides along his tail for like 500 I've seen, feet I have, I've I seen clips of that, that. Came from. I, I knew it, I've I've watched a few Godzilla movies and I had no idea where, where that scene came from but okay that's good to know now yeah that's definitely that's one of the wackier ones and and interestingly the guy I was telling you about before that wanted to be a pilot the, the special effects supervisor of all the Godzilla movies E.G. Subaraya he's the co-creator of Ultraman so he actually created both Godzilla and Ultraman, probably the greatest human being, needs a Nobel Prize for what he gave to us and, with and those you, two creators. You say about how uh, Jet Jaguar was created because they had like kids draw pictures and send them in, and I feel like that's how they created basically every villain in the Ultraman series, is they pulled a kid off the street and they were like, hey, draw us a picture of a monster, and then they just made a costume of that. It's a great way to create monsters. It really is. I, Toho relied on that trick a lot for their movies. They actually had uh, several movies that were created by fans because they did they did contests. So, like, in 1975, Terror of Mechagodzilla was actually just based on a script written by a contest winner. Same thing with uh, uh, Godzilla vs. Biolante. 
That was written by a dentist who just submitted it to the contest. So, Biolaunching. Was, was that the giant trash monster? No, that was Hedora in Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. Okay. Biolante is like a rose, poison ivy-ish type character that just grows to epic proportions and becomes the biggest, weirdest monster you've ever seen. Now, what what would you say, who was the worst villain, or the worst villain kaiju in, uh, in all the Godzilla-verse? Oh, man, there's so many to choose from. But they had, um, man... <laughs> They had some odd ones. Uh, Abira comes to mind. Abira is basically a giant lobster. Um, appeared in All Monsters Attack. Appeared in Abira Horror of the Deep. We will be watching All Monsters Attack for our podcast this month, actually. Okay, then you'll definitely you'll see a little bit of Abira. If you've, it's, it's just stock footage, but you'll see him sort of pop up. Just a giant red lobster uh, for no apparent reason. Uh, originally, he was supposed to fight, uh, was it King Kong? But then they, they lost their agreement with Universal and they had to give King Kong back. So they just had him fight Godzilla instead. Very, very strange choice to have this sort of a. Whenever they decide to make a normal monster or a normal creature just supersized, it just comes across as weird. I mean, you know I guess that would have made sense for a giant gorilla versus a giant lobster. I mean, it's, it's kind of like what they do <laughs> on the Sci Fi Channel now. Uh, Mega shark versus mega octopus versus mega chinchilla versus mega armadillo. Sharknado. You know, just let's giantize a, uh, a, a an animal and have it fight another animal. Yeah, and I'll tell you, man, I, I liked Sharktopus. That was probably the only one of those I liked. Uh, but those sci-fi movies, they, I think they're all like Roger Corman produced a lot of them. They're done by the Asylum. They're just sort of they're the worst possible version of kaiju. If, if all you know about giant monsters are what you see on those, uh, if you're a listener, please stop watching those. Go back and watch dudes in rubber suits fighting it out. You'll have a blast. Uh, also, when it comes to... Yeah. A lot of times with the CGI, they just can't afford to have a lot of shots of the monster. So you end up watching you know, Eric Roberts talking to Tara Reid for 45 minutes, and then you get <laughs> a monster at the end. It's not really worth it. Sort of anticlimactic. Yeah, pretty much. Um, actually, since we mentioned um, King Kong, that reminds me of something I've been wondering for years. So the King Kong in King Kong versus Godzilla is a lot bigger than the original King Kong and also has the ability to eat electricity to become stronger. So what I've always wondered is, is he supposed to be the original King Kong, or is he a King Kong in another universe? Or I, I can actually answer that question for you, Paul. All right. Because originally it was supposed to be Godzilla versus Frankenstein's monster. Well, yeah, I know that. But um, that's why the why the electricity worked in him. Yeah. Case. So it's it's because it wasn't supposed to be King Kong at all. But it is King Kong. So is this the same King Kong from that, or is it a different King Kong? I'm going to defer to Mike now. Technically, it's the same King Kong, but he's absolutely right. It was supposed to be Frankenstein's monster. For whatever reason, didn't work out. So they decided to uh, they decided to make it King Kong. It is supposed to be a true sequel of sorts to King Kong and Son of Kong. Uh, but yeah, definitely, it's comical. It's odd. The Godzilla suit or the, the King Kong suit rather looks horrible. It does. It doesn't oh seem. Yeah, it, it's covered in yak fur, and that's not a joke. The King Kong suit's covered in yak fur. It's the weirdest looking King Kong suit I've ever seen. How, it was. How logistically would they have had Frankenstein's monster 
fight Godzilla. I mean, King Kong is already a joke in and of itself versus Godzilla. You know, King Kong only being 30 feet tall. You know, I know they yeah. grew him, but like like Frankenstein's monster, he's seven just, feet tall. Yeah, he's just a really large guy. I think he was supposed to get bigger with more electricity or something like that. Or I don't know, maybe they gave him more human parts or something like that. And that's basically the idea is the electricity was going to make them bigger and stronger. It's, you know, they don't need a lot of background to make these movies work. I don't know if you realize that. They just sort of, they just sort of throw things out there and see what sticks. I mean, I just, I've seen Dracula versus Frankenstein, so I'm not sure I could actually imagine Godzilla versus Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. I mean, interesting, for whatever reason, Germany was like obsessed with the idea that all these Godzilla movies should be, for some reason, in the Dr. Frankenstein universe. So in Germany, a lot of the Godzilla movies that, that came out throughout the 60s and 70s, they would rename them like Godzilla versus Frankenstein's monster or, you know, Revenge of Dr. Frankenstein and have Godzilla fighting, you know, Gigan or whatever. But they would just say in the subtitles that Gigan was created by Dr. Frankenstein. It's the weirdest thing, but Germany held on to that for decades. I'd actually like to see one of these versions now. Yeah, it sounds pretty <laughs> cool. Well, that reminds me of, um, there's a movie called Return to Kong Island, I think it was, and not only does it not have King Kong or any Kongs, it doesn't even take place on an island. They just kind of named it Kong Island. It takes place, like, somewhere in the middle of Africa. It was very weird. <laughs> I do not know that one. <laughs> one of my favorite monster fighting movies actually is uh, Monster Brawl. Have you ever seen that one? Oh, I have that one, but I haven't seen it. Because uh, like everything else, I it's, play it on DVD, but I don't always watch it. It's basically a, a WWE pay-per-view event with monsters instead of regular wrestlers. And it is... You know, that's, it, it's that's amazing. That's what I, I love it. It's it's horrible. But it's it's even got like the, uh, you know, the old school promos where like... Hulk Hogan would be ripping his shirt off and, you know, uh, Dusty Rhodes would be spitting at the camera and telling how he's going to drop the bionic elbow on you and shit. And uh, it's got, like, the monsters doing this, um, if if I remember correctly, like, between the fights. And uh, it's just, it's amazing. Sounds like it. I can't believe that. I just looked this up. Jimmy Hart and Kevin Nash are in that movie. I might have to see this. Uh, yeah, Kevin Nash is one of the announcers. Oh, um, and, and Jimmy Hart, I believe, is one is is a manager for one of the monsters. It's so hard to believe, J- Jimmy the Mouth Hart is is a manager. I know, right? Oh, that's phenomenal. I think that's another reason that I I enjoy the kaiju movies and stuff is I grew up watching the World Wrestling Federation, and you know, just you know, soap opera for men, and that's that's kind of what kaiju movies are. It's just. Let's giant. Let's watch things destroy each other. Definitely. I mean, I'm I'm right there with you. That was one of my first writing gigs. Was writing for a uh, for a wrestling newsletter. It was the most fun I ever had, man. Because you just get to watch all this ridiculous melodrama play out, and then you get to make it sort of a job for yourself. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh God, I love that. Uh, you could do in a whole month on just wrestlers in movies because they've done so many crazy. Uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper movies over the years, Hulk Hogan movies over the years. You could really tie yourself up in, in that rabbit hole for sure. Oh my god, Hulk Hogan movies alone could take us a whole year to get through. Hell yeah, Suburban Commando, man. I live that. I love that movie. I um, love was, it. Um, the Three Ninjas uh, 3, I think the third one. Yeah, I don't remember. What, yeah, it was uh, 
I know which one you're talking about. He yes, actually makes the guy pee his pants. I didn't know there was more than one of those three ninja movies. I oh, there's there's like four or five of them. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Hulk Hogan is in the third one, I believe, um, and it takes place at a uh, an amusement park, and uh, Hulk Hogan actually makes somebody pee his pants. Does Gremlins <laughs> two count as a Hulk Hogan movie? Uh, he is in yeah, it. He's he's in the movie theater watching the movie. Uh, but I I think uh, uh, I think my favorite movie with a wrestler. Uh, has to be They Live. Oh, yeah. It's definitely the best one, for sure. Uh, I've come to kick ass and chew bubble gum, and I'm all out of bubble gum. Still one of the best <laughs> lines ever. Which nobody knows where it came from. Like, I'll hear people say that line. I'll be like, oh, wh- you know where that came from? And they're like, uh, Duke Nukem? I'm yeah, like, shut the fuck up. Duke Nukem, like, but it's not. Oh, God. No, Balls uh, of I've Steel, that. that was Duke Nukem. Kick ass and chew bubble gum. That was Rowdy Roddy Piper. I would punch somebody if they did that. Interestingly, he he ad libbed that line. He just had like a paper in his pocket of of promo phrases that he writes down while he's in the car, and that was one of them. So he was just ad libbing lines on the set, and that was just one of them that he threw out. So that wasn't even written in the script. That makes him even more genius. Rowdy Roddy Piper, rest in peace. Love that guy. I know, and uh, even American one of his uh, recent, one of the more recent films he was in. Pro, pro wrestlers versus zombies, like he just yeah. he does such a great job, you know, in everything that he was in, from being you know one of the biggest heels in wrestling, to just being a nobody in a movie, and uh, also I love uh, him as the maniac in the episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia that he uh, guest stars in. Definitely, oh, those are fantastic. I'm I'm the garbage man. <laughs> <laughs> my 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 brother actually recently got a job as a garbage man, and the first thing he did after he uh after he re- received news that that he got the job was uh, he came in and he quoted Frank Reynolds like for five minutes like as the garbage man. Oh god! <laughs> and like he he like reenacted the scene where he hits uh hits cricket with the uh, with the trash can and cuts his throat open and stuff. The B movie life that I lead. It's a good life. Oh, it's fantastic. You know, and there was also another connection between wrestling and kaiju. Not a lot. This is sort of a rarity. So if you're a kaiju expert, you're listening to this podcast and you think, man, these guys haven't shown me anything I don't already know. There was a thing called Kaiju Big Battle in 2005. It was released as sort of like a direct to DVD thing. It literally was a bunch of college kids that got together, filmed a few skits as monsters in giant rubber suits. And then got together in like a VFW hall with a wrestling ring in a cage and had the monsters fight in the wrestling ring in the cage with like big cardboard buildings and everything. It's, I don't want to say it's fantastic, but it's fun. If you need something to put on during a party, you have a bunch of people over at your house and you just want something on the screen to occasionally look over to and be amazed by, oh man, Kaiju Big Battle, totally crazy thing. I wish they would bring that back. I would go see a live Kaiju Big Battle show tomorrow if there was one in my area sounds like it's worth looking into definitely gotta check that out that sounds like something worth organizing like yeah seriously that'd be fun to like just make like fuck going to see the harlem globetrotters on december 26th let's go see kaiju big battle down at down at the uh the pbg amphitheater or whatever whatever's over here yeah definitely i mean that's that's the kind of thing i wish people would have more fun with it and just sort of do crazier things because i've been to indie wrestling shows I've been to professional wrestling shows, and they're fun, 
But man, it'd be so much more fun if everybody was in rubber suits and just like destroying cardboard houses. Just saying. You know, we um. Vince McMahon. It, it, yeah. At my high school, my junior or senior year, I can't remember, they actually, like, did this wrestling thing between students and faculty where you actually oh, had, wow. like, the, the, the faculty was auctioned off. And if you, like, won the bidding, and I can't remember, the, the money went to some charity. Um, if you won the auction, you got to, quote-unquote, fight this faculty member, and they put... Um, the student and the faculty member in those giant sumo suits, and uh, they had to sumo wrestle. And I mean, it was this—it was this big event at the high school, and uh, I'll never forget. Like they had commentators and everything, and uh, the vice principal was going up against somebody, and he just like, like uh, if you ever think of like the fish slapping at each other in Ren and Stimpy. Um, he just he just like walked up to the student and started like slapping at him like that. And the uh, the announcer goes, oh, and he, he pulls out the sissy slapping as his first move. And uh, just like, I just, I loved seeing that, like, just people in these ridiculously large outfits trying to do something to each other. It was just amazing. That's the Edmund Honda thousand hand slap from Street Fighter 2. We all know it. It's dangerous. Nothing <laughs> sissy about it. I love when um, shows like kaiju movies and other things, is they recognize the fact that they're ridiculous and they just kind of go with it. Like, they're not trying to, like, make a point. They're not trying to make anything great. They're like, you know, this is ridiculous. Everyone knows it's ridiculous. We're going to go with it. And you'll either like it or you won't. And, yeah, it's it, it, it's memorable because of that. And I have to go back to the example of Crank 2 where, you know, this movie, although it's not completely serious... In the middle of it, he gets electrocuted, and him and the guy he's fighting turn into kaiju. Like, it's just, you know, at that point, you know this movie has no respect for itself, and you love it all the more for it. Definitely. Anything that's unpretentious, I love. Uh, Even though I, I watch a ton of movies, and I have thousands of movies always at my disposal, I cannot call myself a cinephile. Because people that call themselves cinephiles are the types of people that just sort of they, they have to sip a certain type of tea and they have to use 10,000 words where they could have used two to describe why a movie is so special to them. And I just can't do that. Uh, I want to be into movies that are sort of wacky and wild and over the top and don't take themselves seriously. I don't need a movie to transform me into a better person. I'm already fucking perfect. I don't need anything. So I'm going to watch movies that allow me to have fun. So I want to see sort of giant crazy explosive things i want to watch rowdy roddy piper elbow drop keith david in the middle of an alleyway like i want to see something fun and so anything that lacks pretension i think are the the best kind of movies they're the kind of movies that just sort of allow you to not take anything in life too seriously uh movies are supposed to be escapism they're not supposed to be super serious uh type of things i I don't want to watch schindler's list i want to watch octoman i want to see a big octopus rubber suit slapping a woman around oh it's fantastic that's what it's all about it's entertainment first before everything else i feel like a lot of people seem to forget that it's like oh this movie has to it needs to make a statement it needs to do this like well what if it's just fun like i know Corey and i disagree a lot but i really like army of darkness he hates it but i just love the slapstick comedy in it and just how it took a series of movies that were really kind of hokey and ridiculous and just went full on with that I think it was just a cheap knockoff of a great 
horror series. Well, I think you're wrong. That you know had a lot of black comedy elements, and then you go, oh, you know, people think our movies are funny, so let's just do funny stuff instead of actually thinking something through. They did. It was it was it was clever, but it was funny. It was goofy, and it took the whole like still motion um, stuff and the claymation. You're like. We're just going to make this goofy, and it was great. All they wanted was for Ash Williams to finally get some pussy. That's all yes. that Army of Darkness is about. Is that you know such what? a bad because thing? His, his girlfriends always end up dying in the other movies. Oh, well, how about, how about instead of him getting his ass handed to him, like, and then, you know, not having any kind of reward, let's... Let's ha- let let him have sex with somebody in this one, and then we'll be all good. That's that's what Army of Darkness is. That's the only reason it exists. God forbid they should try something different with that. Yeah, he could he could have you know had sex with a Kandarian demon or, or some shit you know. He almost did. Yeah, and I'm sure he would have been a better person for it. <laughs> yeah, that that movie um, sparks a lot of um, arguments between us. I can tell. And oh, on man. that note, um, if you tune in in March, our theme is going to be March, the acronym which stands for Monsters Are Rather Charming Hornballs. Hmm. So uh, we'll, we'll be having some interesting time that month. Yeah. Um, okay. So any other um, last things on uh, Kaiju we want to talk about? Like A little bit of information for anybody that wanted more information. Got Godzilla Films basically fall into three eras. They, they fall in the Showa era, which existed from 1954 to 75. Then the Heisei era, era from 85 to 95. Those are the best movies. Then the Millennium era from 99 to 2004, which is sort of eh. And then we get the American one in 2014, which is okay, but it always sounds like Godzilla's farting. So that's very important to know. Is that the one with um, Brian Cranston? I, was, I, I never mm-hmm. got around to seeing that one. Yeah, you don't really have to. It's a two-hour and three-minute-long movie, I think, and Godzilla appears for, like, eight minutes because he was inspired by Jaws, so he thought less is more. But in my mind, man, when, when you're dealing with a 300-foot-tall lizard, atomic lizard destroying a city, I think subtlety is out the window. Well, I think and, we can just sort of show him. And that brings up a line from the 1998 movie. You know, he's, yeah. he's a 40-story-tall 40 li- 40, 40 lizard. How do you lose him? Like, yeah, just, just how? How do you miss that? They look yeah. the other the way. The entire yeah. idea is you can see him from any point in the city. That's supposed to be the idea. Is he's so omnipresent that you can't avoid him. It's like the old George Carlin comedy skit. You know, the, the world is going down the tubes. What tubes? Where are there tubes big enough for the world to go down? If there were tubes that big, someone would have been like, Hey, Jethro, look, the fucking tubes. They're giant fucking tubes over there, man. You know? Uh, somebody in that city's got to be like, oh my god, it's a giant fucking lizard. He's going to eat me, man. Call the army. Like, no, nobody saw him. Everybody just looked yeah. the other way all at once for like a minute and he's ran off real fast. Th- they were too busy getting Taco Bell. <laughs> well, it's nighttime. It's dark, man. He can't see everything, especially not a 40 foot tall or a 40 story tall lizard. With atomic breath? He blends into atomic- the uh, night sky. Yeah. He's hiding behind one of the buildings. There you go. <laughs> oh, look. Fluffy got 40 stories tall. Oh, wonder, wonder what Mrs. Peterson's feeding him this time. <laughs> so what, one last question I have for you, and that is um, a, like, a non-Godzilla movie. What is the worst kaiju movie, in your opinion, that you have ever seen? 
Oh, man. Uh, there, there's a lot to choose from because Lord knows he did a lot of knockoffs. Uh, one of the worst attempts, I guess, at sort of a kaiju movie, uh, you can see uh, Kingdom of the Spiders, which starred William Shatner against sort of supposedly giant tarantulas and normal tarantulas sometimes, depending on the scene. That's a bad one. And then also there was one called King Kung Fu in 1976. It was supposed to be King Kong is a gorilla that gets taught Kung Fu and and then he fights people. But he's like normal size. He's like six foot tall because they didn't want to do the miniatures thing. So those two, probably the two worst kaiju movies you could see. Wow. That sounds... That sounds amazing, actually. I want to. I want to see that. Kind of reminds me of a when we did the movie Kung Fu Mummy. Kind of reminds me of a Shaq Fu, the old uh, Sega game. I love Shaq Fu. I don't care what anybody says. Shaq Fu was an awesome video game. But now I want to see him, him and Guts and uh, King Kong fighting with um, using Kung Fu against each but, other. But in the middle of the fight, Shaq is gonna stop and like promote Shaq Cola. And, and then, <laughs> then King Kong's just going to get a sucker punch in there, and it, it'll all be over from there. You know, I bet Shaquille O'Neal would actually make this movie if he, like, asked him nicely. He seems like he'd be pretty cool with it. Shaq will do anything that puts him over. That's for real. I mean, if you just ask him, hey, you want to do this movie? He's going to say, I win, right? And as long as he wins, he'll do it. Pretty much. Uh, yeah, Shaq, Shaq Fu should be a TV series. Make it the sequel to Shazam. I mean, if if the Walking Dead TV series can be the number one rated or the number one ratings show on cable television, Shaq Fu can pull it out for at least two seasons. Most definitely. Yeah. Um. So, um, Paul, any any last thoughts from you? No, that's about it. Um, just I just think it's really cool how kaiju films. I never realized how much they were influenced by the fans and I think that's really cool and I think that's one of the things that's kind of missing from the modern day ones it's I think once you took away the rubber suits and the um the model cities you kind of took away the fan influence too so I think that it kind of made it go downhill and and just kind of took away some of the charm when you take the man out of the rubber suit you lose the humanity of the movie that was and deep. that's that's some of what makes it amazing that was beautiful, Corey. Is the 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 things that go wrong with a man in the suit that you know wouldn't have gone wrong in CGI, and the things that go above and beyond by the man in the rubber suit that you wouldn't have seen happen via the CGI because the CGI is like you've said exactly what you want, and you know what for it to be exactly what you want for it to be perfect in my mind is a travesty. If it doesn't have a flaw, then it's not real. You know, just you saying that, now I want to see a movie called Attack of the Giant Man in a Rubber Suit. Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. Um, but anyway, um, Mike, if anyone would like to contact you or follow you or, you know, whatever you do, um, where would they be able to do that at? Hit me up on Twitter at Real Cinemania. Uh, or on my website, cinemania.co. Best way to get a hold of me. Why, well, thank you very much. Thank you. Hey,